Section 1 of Actions and Reactions. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Actions and Reactions by Rudyard Kipling. An Habitation and Forest. My friend, if cause doth rest thee, ere folly hath much oppressed thee, far from acquaintance guess thee, where country may digest thee. Thank God that so hath blessed thee, and sit down, Robin, and rest thee. Thomas Tusser It came without warning at the very hour his hand was outstretched to crumble the holds on Gunsberg Combine. The New York doctors called it overwork, and he lay in a darkened room, one ankle crossed above the other, tongue pressed into pallid, wondering whether the next brain surge of prickly fires would drive his soul from all anchorages. At last they gave judgment. With care he might in two years return to the arena, but for the present he must go across the water and not work whatever. He accepted the terms. It was capitulation, but the combine that had shivered beneath his knife gave him all the honors of war. Gunsberg himself, full of condolences, came to the steamer and filled the chaplain's suit of cabins with overwhelming flower-works. "'Smilax,' said George Chapin when he saw them. "'Fitz is right. I'm dead. Only I don't see why he left out the in-memoriam on the ribbons.' "'Nonsense,' his wife answered, and poured him his tincture. "'You'll be back before you can think.' He looked at himself in the mirror, surprised that his face had not been branded by the hells of the past three months. The noise of the decks worried him, and he lay down, his tongue only a little pressed against his palate. An hour later he said, "'Sophie, I feel sorry about taking you away from everything like this. I—I I suppose we're the two loneliest people on God's earth tonight,' said Sophie, his wife, and kissed him. "'Isn't it something to you that we're going together?' They drifted about Europe for months, sometimes alone, sometimes with chance-met gypsies of their own land. From the North Cape to the Blue Grotto at Capri, they wandered, because the next steamer headed that way, or because someone had set them on the road. The doctors had warned Sophie that Chapin was not to take interest even in other men's interests, but a familiar sensation at the back of the neck, after one hour's keen talk with a now-heimed railway magnate, saved her any trouble. He nearly wept. And I'm over thirty, he said, with all I meant to do. Let's call it a honeymoon, said Sophie. Do you know, in all the six years we've been married, you've never told me what you meant to do with your life. With my life? What's the use? It's finished now. Sophie looked up quickly from the Bay of Naples. As far as my business goes, I shall have to live on my rents like that architect at San Moritz. You'll get better if you don't worry, and even if it takes time, there are worse things than... How much have you? Between four and five million. But it isn't the money. You know it isn't. It's the principle. How could you respect me? You never did the first year after we married, till I went to work like the others. Our tradition and upbringing are against it. We can't accept those ideals. "'Well, I suppose I married you for some sort of ideal,' she answered, and they returned to their forty-third hotel. In England they missed the alien tongues of continental streets that reminded them of their own polyglot cities. 
in england all men spoke one tongue speciously like american to the ear but on cross-examination unintelligible uh, but you have not seen england said a lady with iron-grey hair they had met her in vienna bayreuth and florence and were grateful to find her again at claridge's for she commanded situations and knew where prescriptions are most carefully made up you ought to take an interest in the home of our ancestors as i do i've tried for a week mrs shantz said sophie but i never get any further than tipping german waiters these are not the true types mrs shantz went on i know where you should go chopin pricked up his ears anxious to run anywhere from the streets on which quick man something of his kidney did the business denied to him we hear and we obey mrs shantz said sophie feeling his unrest as he drank the loathed british tea mrs shantz smiled and took them in hand she rode widely and telegraphed far on their behalf till armed with her letter of introduction she drove them into that wilderness which is reached from an ash barrel of a station called charing cross the way to go to rockets the farm of one cloak in the southern counties where she assured them they would meet the genuine england of folklore and song rockets they found after some hours four miles from a station and so far as they could judge in the bumpy darkness twice as many from a road trees kine and the outlines of barns showed shadowy about them when they alighted and mr and mrs cloak at the open door of a deep stone-floored kitchen made them shyly welcome they lay in an attic beneath a wavy whitewashed ceiling and because it rained a wood-fire was made in an iron basket on a brick hearth and they fell asleep to the chirping of mice and the whimper of flames when they woke it was a fair day full of the noises of birds the smell of bogs lavender and fried bacon mixed with an elemental smell they had never met before this said sophie nearly pushing out the thin casement in an attempt to see round the corner is what did the hack cabman say to the railway porter about my trunk quite on the top no a little bit of all right i feel further away from anywhere than i've ever felt in my life we must find out where the telegraph office is who cares said sophie wandering about hairbrush in hand to admire the illustrated weekly pictures pasted on door and cupboard but there was no rest for the alien soul till he had made sure of the telegraph office he asked the cloak's daughter laying breakfast while sophie plunged her face in the lavender bush outside the low window go to the stalla top of the barn field said mary and look across pardons to the next spire it's directly under you can't miss it not if you keep to the footpath my sister's the telegraphist there but you're in the three-mile radius sir the boy delivers telegrams directly to this door from pardon's village one has to take a good deal on trust in this country he murmured sophie looked at the close turf scarred only with last night's wheels at two ruts which wound round a rickyard and at the circle of steel orchard about the half-timbered house what's the matter with it she said telegrams delivered to the vale of avalon of course and she beckoned in an earnest-eyed hound of engaging manners and no engagements who answered at times to the name of rumbler he led them after breakfast to the rise behind the house where the stile stood against the skyline and i wonder what we shall find now said sophie frankly prancing with joy on the grass
it was a slope of gap-hedged fields possessed to their centres by clumps of brambles gates were not and the rabbit mined cattle-wrapped posts leaned out and in a narrow path doubled among the bushes scores of white tails twinkled before the racing hound and a hawk rose whistling shrilly no roads no nothing said sophie her short skirt hooked by briars i thought all england was a garden there's your spire george across the valley how curious they walked toward it through an all-abandoned land here they found the ghost of a patch of lucerne that had refused to die there a harsh fallow surrendered to yard-high thistles and here a breadth of rampant kelk feigning to be lawful crop in the ungrazed pastures swathes of dead stuff caught their feet and the ground beneath glistened with sweat at the bottom of the valley a little brook had undermined its footbridge and frothed in the wreckage but there stood great woods on the slopes beyond old tall and brilliant like unfaded tapestries against the walls of a ruined house all this within a hundred miles of london he said looks as if it had had nervous prostration too the footpath turned the shoulder of the slope through a thicket of rank rhododendrons and crossed what had once been a carriage drive which ended in the shadow of two gigantic holmoaks a house said sophie in a whisper a colonial house behind the blue-green of the twin trees rose a dark bluish brick georgian pile with a shell-shaped fanlight over its pillared door the hound had gone off on his own foolish quests except for some stir in the branches and the fright of four startled magpies there was neither life nor sound about the square house but it looked out of its long windows most friendlily charmed to meet you i'm sure said sophie and curtsied to the ground george this is history i can understand we began here she curtsied again the june sunshine twinkled on all the lights it was as though an old lady wise in three generations experience but for the present sitting out bent to listen to her flushed and eager grandchild i must look sophie tiptoed to a window and shaded her eyes with her hand oh this room's half full of cotton bales wool i suppose but i can see a bit of the mantelpiece george do come isn't that someone she fell back behind her husband the front door opened slowly to show the hound his nose wide with milk in charge of an ancient of days clad in a blue linen ephod curiously gathered on breast and shoulders certainly said george half aloud father time himself this is where he lives sophie we came said sophie weakly can we see the house i'm afraid that's our dog no tis rumbler said the old man he's been at my swill pail again staying at rockets be ye come in ah you run a gate the hound broke from him and he tottered after him down the drive they entered the hall just such a high-light hall as such a house should own a slim balustered staircase wide and shallow and one screamy white climbed out of it under a long oval window on either side delicately moulded doors gave on to wool-lumbered rooms whose sea-green mantelpieces were adorned with nymphs scrolls and cupids in low relief what's the firm that makes these things cried sophie enraptured oh i forgot this must be the originals 
Adams, is it? I never dreamed of anything like that steel-cut fender. Does he mean us to go everywhere? He's catching the dog, said George, looking out. We don't count. They explored the first, or ground floor, delighted as children playing burglars. This is like all England, she said at last. Wonderful, but no explanation. You're expected to know it beforehand. Now, let's try upstairs. The stairs never creaked beneath their feet. From the broad landing they entered a long, green-panelled room, lighted by three full-length windows, which overlooked the forlorn wreck of a terraced garden and wooded slopes beyond. The drawing-room, of course. Sophie swam up and down it. That mantelpiece, Orpheus and Eurydice, is the best of them all. Isn't it marvellous? Why, the room seems furnished with nothing in it. How's that, George? It's the proportions. I've noticed it. I saw a happle-white couch once, Sophie said, her finger to her flushed cheek, and considered. With two of them, one on each side, you wouldn't need anything else, except there must be one perfect mirror over the mantelpiece. Look at that view. It's a framed constable, her husband cried. No, it's a moorland, a parody of a moorland. But about that couch, George, don't you think Empire might be better than Hepplewhite? Dull gold against the pale green? It's a pity they don't make spinets nowadays. I believe you can get them. Look at that oak wood behind the pines. While you sat and played toccatas stately at the clavichord, Sophie hummed and, head on one side, nodded to where the perfect mirror should hang. Then they found bedrooms, with dressing rooms and powdering closets, and steps leading up and down, boxes of rooms, round, square and octagonal, with enriched ceilings and chased door locks. Now about servants. Oh! She had darted up the last stairs to the checkered darkness of the top floor, where loose tiles lay among broken laths, and the walls were scrawled with names, sentiments, and hop records. "'They've been keeping pigeons here,' she cried. "'And you could drive a buggy through the roof anywhere,' said George. "'That's what I say,' the old man cried below them on the stairs. "'Not a dry place for my pigeons at all.' "'But why was it allowed to get like this?' said Sophie. "'Tis with housing as tith,' he replied. "'Let em go too far, and there's nothing to be done. "'Time was they was minded to sell her, but none would buy. "'She was too far away along from any place. "'Time was they had lived here themselves, but they took and died. "'Here?' Sophie moved beneath the light of a hole in the roof. "'Nah, none dies here except falling off ricks and such. "'In London they died.' He plucked a lock of wool from his blue smock. There was no staple, neither the elfics nor the moons. Shart and brittle all of them. Dead they be seventeen year, for I've been here caretaking twenty-five. Who does all the wool belong to downstairs? George asked. To the estate. I'll show you the back parts if you like. You're from America, ain't you? I've had a son there once myself. They followed him down the main stairway. He posed at the turn and swept one hand towards the wall. Plenty room here for your coffin to come down. Seven foot and three men at each end wouldn't brush the paint. If I die in my bed, they'll have to upend me like a milk can. Tis all luck, do you see? 
He led them on and on through a maze of back kitchens, dairies, larders, and sculleries that melted along covered ways into a farmhouse, visibly older than the main building, which again rambled out among barns, byres, pig pens, stalls, and stables to the dead fields behind. Somehow, said Sophie, sitting exhausted on an ancient well-carb, somehow one wouldn't insult these lovely old things by filling them with hay. George looked at long stone walls upholding reaches of silvery oak, weatherboarding, buttresses of mixed flint and bricks, outside stairs, stone upon arch stone, curves of thatch where grass sprouted, roundels of house-licked tiles, and a huge paved yard populated by two cows and the repentant rumbler. He had not thought of himself or of the telegraph office for two and a half hours. But why, said Sophie, as they went back through the crater of stricken fields, why is one expected to know everything in England? Why do they never tell? You mean about the Elphics and the moons? he answered. Yes, and the lawyers and the estate. Who are they? I wonder whether those painted floors in the green room were real oak. Don't you like us exploring things together, better than Pompeii? George turned once more to look at the view. Eight hundred acres go with a house, the old man told me. Five farms altogether. Rockets is one of them. I like Mrs. Cloak, but what is the old house called? George laughed. That's one of the things you're expected to know. He never told me. The Cloaks were more communicative. That evening, and thereafter for a week, they gave the Chapins the official history, as one gives it to lodgers of Friar's Pardon, the house, and its five farms. But Sophie asked so many questions, and George was so humanly interested, that, as confidence in the strangers grew, they launched, with observed and acquired detail, into the lives and deaths and doings of the Elphics and the Moons, and their collaterals, the Hailings and the Torals. It was a tale told serially by Cloak in the barn or his wife in the dairy, the last chapters reserved for the kitchen o' nights by the big fire, when the two had been half the day exploring about the house, where old Eagledon of the blue smoke cackled and chuckled to see them. The motives that swayed the characters were beyond their comprehension. The fates that shifted them were gods they had never met. The sidelights Mrs. Cloak threw on act and incident were more amazing than anything in the record. Therefore the Chapins listened delightedly and blessed Mrs. Shantz. But why, why, why did so-and-so do so-and-so? Sophie would demand from her seat by the pothook, and Mrs. Cloak would answer, smoothing her knees for the sake of the place. I give it up, said George one night in their own room. People don't seem to mutter in this country compared to the places they live in. The way she tells it, Friar's pardon, was a sort of Moloch. Poor old thing! They had been walking round the farms as usual before tea. No wonder they loved it. Think of the sacrifices they made for it. Jane Elphick married the younger Torrell to keep it in the family. The octagonal room with a moulded ceiling next to the big bedroom was hers. Now, what did he tell you while he was feeding the pigs? said Sophie. About the Toral cousins and the uncle who died in Java. They lived at Burnt House, behind High Pardons, where that brook is all blocked up. No, Burnt House is under High Pardons Wood before you come to Gail Anstey, Sophie corrected. Well, old man Cloak said, Sophie threw open the door and called down into the kitchen where the cloaks were covering the fire. 
Mrs. Cloak, isn't Burn House under high pardons? Yes, my dear, of course, the soft voice answered absently. A cough. I beg your pardon, madam? What was it you said? Never mind, I prefer it the other way. Sophie laughed, and George retold the missing chapter as she sat on the bed. Here today and gone tomorrow, said Cloak warningly. They've paid their first month, but we've only that Mrs. Shunt's letter for guarantee. None she sent never cheated as yet. It slipped out before I thought. She's a most humane young lady. They'll be going away in a little. And you've talked a lot too, Alfred. Yes, but the Alphics are all dead. No one can bring my loose talking home to me. But why do they stay on and stay on so? In due time, George and Sophie asked each other that question and put it aside. They argued that the climate, a fairly bland, unlike the hot and cold ferocities of their own native land, suited them as the thick stillness of the night certainly suited George. He was saved even the sight of a metalled road, which as presumably leading to business, wakes desire in a man, and the telegraph office at the village of Friars Pardon, where they sold picture postcards and peg tops, was two walking miles across the fields and woods for all that touched his past among his fellows on their remembrance of him he might have been in another planet and sophie whose life had been very largely spent among husbandless wives of lofty ideals had no wish to leave this present of god the unhurried meals the foreknowledge of deliciously empty hours to follow the breadths of soft sky under which they walked together and reckoned time only by their hunger or thirst the good grass beneath their feet that cheated the miles their discoveries always together amid the farms griffins rockets burnt house gale anstey and the home farm where eagledon of the blue smock frock would waylay them and they would ransack the old house once more the long wet afternoons when they tacked up their feet on the bedroom's deep window-sill over against the apple-trees and talked together as never till then had they found time to talk these things contented her soul and her body throve have you realized she asked one morning that we've been here absolutely alone for the last thirty-four days have you counted them he asked did you like them she replied i must have i didn't think about them yes i have six months ago i should have fretted myself sick remember at cairo i've only had two or three bad times am i getting better or is it senile decay climate all climate sophie swung her new-bought english boots as she sat on the stile overlooking friar's pardon behind the cloaks's barn one must take hold of things though he said if it's only to keep one's hand in his eyes did not flicker now as they swept the empty fields. Mustn't one? Play out a Morristown links over Gale Unsley. I dare say you could hire it. No, I'm not as English as that, nor as Morristown. Clock says all the farms here could be made to pay. Well, I'm Anastasia in the treasure of Frankart. I'm content to be alive and poor. There's no hurry. No, he smiled. All the same, I'm going to see after my mail. You promise you wouldn't have any. There's some business coming through that's amusing me. Honest, it doesn't get on my nerves at all. Want a secretary? No, thanks, old thing. Isn't that quite English? Too English. Go away. But nonetheless, in broad daylight, she returned the kiss. I'm off to pardons. I haven't been to the house for nearly a week. 
how have you decided to furnish jane Olfic's bedroom he laughed for it had come to be a permanent castle in spain between them black chinese furniture and yellow silk brocade she answered in run-down hill she scattered a few cows at a gap with a flourish of a ground ash that eagledon had cut for her a week ago and singing as she passed under the holm oaks sought the farmhouse at the back of friar's pardon the old man was not to be found and she knocked at his half-open door for she needed him to fill her idle forenoon a blue-eyed sheep-dog a new friend and rambler's old enemy crawled out and besought her to enter eagledon sat in his chair by the fire a thistle spat between his knees his head drooped though she had never seen death before her heart that missed a bit told her that he was dead she did not speak or cry but stood outside the door and the dog licked her hand when he threw up his nose she heard herself saying don't howl please don't begin to howl scotty or i shall run away she held her ground while the shadows in the rickyard moved toward noon sat after a while on the steps by the door her arms round the dog's neck waiting till someone should come she watched the smokeless chimneys of friar's pardon slush its roofs with shadow and the smoke of Eagledon's last lighted fire gradually thin and cease against her will she fell to wondering how many moons elphics and torals had been swung round the turn of the broad hall stairs then she remembered the old man's stock of being upended like a milk-can and buried her face in scotty's neck at last a horse's feet clinked upon flags rustled in the old grey straw of the rickyard and she found herself facing the vicar a figure she had seen at church declaiming impossibilities sophie was a unitarian in an unnatural voice he's dead she said without preface old eagledon i was coming for a talk with him the vicar passed in uncovered ah she heard him say hard failure how long have you been here since a quarter to eleven she looked at her watch earnestly and saw that her hand did not shake i'll sit with him now till the doctor comes do you think you could tell him and yes mrs betts in the cottage with the wisteria next the blacksmith's i'm afraid this has been rather a shock to you sophie nodded and fled toward the village her body failed her for a moment she dropped beneath a hedge and looked back at the great house in some fashion its silence and stolidity steadied her for her errand mrs betts small black-eyed and dark was almost as unconcerned as friar's pardon yes yes of course dear me well eagledon he had had his day in my father's time muriel get me my little blue bag please yes ma'am they come down like elm branches in the still weather no warning at all muriel my bicycle's behind the fowl house i'll tell dr dallas ma'am she trundled off on her wheel like a brown bee while sophie heaven above and earth beneath changed walked stiffly home to fall over george at his letters in a muddle of laughter and tears it's all quite natural for them she gasped they come down like elm branches in still weather yes ma'am no there wasn't anything in the least horrible only only oh george that poor shiny stick of his between his poor thin knees i couldn't have borne it if scotty had howled 
I didn't know the vicar was so, so sensitive. He said he was afraid it was rather a shock. Mrs. Betts told me to go home, and I wanted to collapse on her floor, but I didn't disgrace myself. I, I couldn't have left him, could I? "'You're sure you've taken no harm?' cried Mrs. Cloak, who had heard the news by farm telegraphy, which is older but swifter than Marconi's. "'No, I'm perfectly well,' Sophie protested. "'You lay down till tea-time,' Mrs. Cloak patted her shoulder. "'They'll be very pleased, though she has had no proper understanding for twenty years.' "'They?' came before twilight, a black-bearded man in moleskins and a little palsied old woman, who chirruped like a wren. "'I'm his son,' said the man to Sophie among the lavender bushes. "'We had a difference twenty year back, and didn't speak since. "'But I'm his son all the same, and we thank you for the watching.' "'I'm only glad I happened to be there,' she answered, "'and from the bottom of her heart she meant it. "'We heard he spoke a lot of you, one time and another since you came. "'We thank you kindly,' the man added. "'Are you the son that was in America?' she asked. "'Yes, ma'am.' on my uncle's farm in Connecticut. He was what they call roadmaster there. Whereabouts in Connecticut? asked George over her shoulder. Bering Holler was the name. I was there six years with my uncle. How small the world is, Sophie cried. Why, all my mother's people come from Bering Hollow. There must be some there still. The Lashmars, did you ever hear of them? I remember hearing that name, seems to me, he answered but his face was blank as the back of a spade. A little before dusk, a woman in grey, striding like a foot-soldier and bearing on her arm a long pole, crushed through the orchard calling for food. George, upon whom the unannounced English worked mysteriously, fled to the parlour, but Mrs. Cloak came forward beaming. Sophie could not escape. "'We've only just heard of it,' said the stranger, turning on her. I've been out with the otter hounds all day. It was a splendidly sporting thing. Did you, uh, kill? said Sophie. She knew from books she could not go far wrong here. Yes, a dry bitch, seventeen pounds, was the answer. A splendidly sporting thing of you to do, poor old Eagledon. Oh, that, said Sophie, enlightened. If there had been any people at pardons, it would never have happened. It have been looked after. "'But what can you expect from a parcel of London solicitors?' "'Mrs. Cloak murmured something. "'No, I'm soaked from the knees down. "'If I hang about, I shall get chilled. "'A cup of tea, Mrs. Cloak, and I can eat one of your sandwiches as I go.' "'She wiped her weather-worn face with a green and yellow silk handkerchief. "'Yes, my lady,' Mrs. Cloak ran and returned swiftly. "'Our land marches with pardons for a mile on the south,' she explained, waving the full cup. "'but one has quite enough to do with one's own people without poaching. "'Still, if I'd known, I'd have sent Dora, of course. "'Have you seen her this afternoon, Mrs. Cloak? "'No? I wonder whether that girl did sprain her ankle. "'Thank you. "'It was a formidable hang of bread and bacon that Mrs. Cloak presented. "'As I was saying, pardons is a scandal. "'Letting people die like dogs. "'There ought to be people there who do their duty. "'You've done yours.' though there wasn't the faintest call upon you. Good night. Tell Dora if she comes. I've gone on. She strode away, munching her crust, and Sophie reeled breathless into the parlour to shake the shaking George. Why did you keep catching my eye behind the blind? Why didn't you come out and do your duty? 
because I should have burst. Did you see the mud on its cheek? He said. Once. I daren't look again. Who is she? God. A local deity, then. Anyway, she's another of the things you're expected to know by instinct. Mrs. Cloak, shocked at their levity, told them that it was Lady Conant, wife of Sir Walter Conant, baronet, a large landholder in the neighbourhood, and, if not God, at least his visible providence. George made her talk of that family for an hour. Laughter, said Sophie afterward in their own room, is the mark of the savage. Why couldn't you control your emotions? It's all real to her. It's all real to me. That's my trouble, he answered in an altered tone. Anyway, it's real enough to mark time with. Don't you think so? What do you mean? she asked quickly, though she knew his voice. That I'm better. I'm well enough to kick. What at? This? He waved his hand around the one room. I must have something to play with till I'm fit for work again. Oh! She sat on the bed and leaned forward, her hands clasped. I wonder if it's good for you. We've been better here than anywhere, he went on slowly. One could always sell it again. She nodded gravely, but her eyes sparkled. The only thing that worries me is what happened this morning. I want to know how you feel about it. If it's on your nerves in the list, we can have the old farm at the back of the house pulled down, or perhaps it has spoiled the notion for you. Pull it down, she cried. You've no business faculty. Why, that's where we could live while we're putting the big house in order. It's almost under the same roof. No, what happened this morning seemed to be more of a... of a leading than anything else. There ought to be people at pardons. Lady Conan's quite right. I was thinking more of the woods and the roads. I could double the value of the place in six months. What do they want for it? She shook her head, and her loosened hair fell glowingly about her cheeks. Seventy-five thousand dollars. They'll take sixty-eight. Less than half what we paid for our old yacht when we married, and we didn't have a good time in her. You were... Well, I discovered I was too much of an American to be content to be a rich man's son. You aren't blaming me for that? Oh, no. Only it was a very business-like honeymoon. How far are you along with the deal, George? I can mail the deposit on the purchase money tomorrow morning, and we can have the thing completed in a fortnight or three weeks, if you say so. Friar's pardon, friar's pardon, Sophie chanted rapturously, her dark grey eyes big with delight. All the farms, Gale, Ansley, Burnt House, Rockets, the home farm, and Griffins, sure you've got them all? Sure, he smiled. And the woods, High Pardon's Wood, Lower Pardon's, Sutton's, Dutton's Shaw, Reuben's Gill, Max's gill and both the oak hangers? Sure you've got them all? Every last stick. Why, you know them as well as I do, he laughed. They say there's five thousand, a thousand pounds worth of lumber, timber they call it, in the hangers alone. Mrs. Cloak's oven must be mended first thing, and the kitchen roof. I think I'll have all this whitewashed, Sophie broke in, pointing to the ceiling. The whole place is a scandal. Lady Conant is quite right. George... When did you begin to fall in love with the house? In the green room, that first day? I did. I'm not in love with it. One must do something to mark time till one's fit for work. Or when we stood under the oaks and the door opened. Oh, ought I to go to poor Eagledon's funeral? She sighed with utter happiness. Wouldn't they call it a liberty now? Said he. But I liked him. But you didn't own him at the date of his death. 
that wouldn't keep me away only they made such a fuss about the watching she caught her breath it might be ostentatious from that point of view too oh george she reached for his hand we're two little orphans moving in worlds not realized and we shall make some bad breaks but we're going to have the time of our lives we'll run up to london to-morrow and see if we can hurry those english law solicitors i want to get to work they went they suffered many things ere they returned across the fields in a fly one saturday night nursing a two by two and a half box of deeds and maps lawful owners of friar's pardon and the five decayed farms therewith i do most sincerely open trust you'll be happy madam mrs cloak gasped when she was told the news by the kitchen fire goodness it isn't a marriage sophie exclaimed a little awed for to them the joke which to an american means work was only just beginning if it's took in a proper spirit mrs cloak's eye turned toward her oven send and have that mended to-morrow sophie whispered we couldn't help noticing said cloak slowly from the times you walked there that you and your lady was drawn to it but-but i don't know as we ever precisely thought his wife's glance checked him that we were that sort of people said george we aren't sure of it ourselves yet perhaps said cloak rubbing his knees just for the sake of saying something perhaps you'll park it what's that said george turn it all into a fine park like violet hill he jerked a thumb to westward that mr sangres bought it was four farms and mr sangres made a fine park of them with a herd of fallen deer then it wouldn't be friar's pardon said sophie would it i don't know as i've ever heard pardons was ever anything but wheat and wool only some gentlemen say that parks are less trouble than tenants he laughed nervously but the gentry of course they keep on pretty much as they was used to i see said sophie how did mr sangres make his money i never rightly heard it was pepper and spices or it may have been gloves no gloves were sir reginald lee's at marley end spices was mr sangres he's a brazilian gentleman very sunburnt like be sure one thing you won't have any trouble said mrs cloak just before they went to bed now the news of the purchase was told to mr and mrs cloak alone at eight p m of a saturday none left the farm till they set out for church next morning yet when they reached the church and were about to slip aside into their usual seats a little beyond the font where they could see the red furred tails of the red robes woggle and twist at ringing time they were swept forward irresistibly a cloak on either flank and yet they had not walked with the cloaks upon the ever-retiring bosom of a black-gowned verger who ushered them into a room of a pew at the head of the left aisle under the pulpit this he sighed reproachfully is the pardon's pew and shut them in they could see little more than the choir boys in the chancel but to the roots of the hair of their necks they felt the congregation behind mercilessly devouring them by look when the wicked man turneth away the strong alien voice of the priest vibrated under the hammer-beam roof and a loneliness unfelt before swamped their hearts as they searched for places in the unfamiliar church of england service the lord's prayer our father which art said the seal on that desolation sophie found herself thinking how in other lands their purchase would long ere this have been discussed from every point of view in a dozen prints 
forgetting that George for months had not been allowed to glance at those black and bellowing headlines. Here was nothing but silence, not even hostility. The game was up to them. The other players hid their cards and waited. Suspense, she felt, was in the air, and when her sight cleared, she saw indeed a mural tablet of a footless bird brooding upon the carven motto, Wait a while, wait a while. At the litany George had trouble with an unstable hassock, and drew the slip of carpet under the pew-seat. Sophie pushed her end back also, and shut her eyes against a burning that felt like tears. When she opened them she was looking at her mother's maiden name, fairly carved, on a blue flagstone on the pew-floor. Ellen Lushmar died in 1796, at the age of twenty-seven. She nudged George and pointed. Sheltered, as they kneeled, they looked for more knowledge, but the rest of the slab was blank. "'Ever hear of her?' he whispered. "'Never knew any of us came from here. Coincidence? Perhaps. But it makes me feel better.' And she smiled and winked away a tear on her lashes, and took his hand while they prayed for all women laboring of child, not in the perils of childbirth, and the sparrows who had found their way through the guards behind the glass windows, chirped above the faded gilt and alabaster family tree of the Conants. The baronet's pew was on the right of the aisle. After service its inhabitants moved forth without haste, but so as to block effectively a dusky person with a large family who chomped in the rear. "'Spices, I think,' said Sophie, deeply delighted as the sangres closed up after the Conants. "'Let them get away, George.' But when they came out, many folk whose eyes were one still lingered by the lich-gate. "'I want to see if any more Lashmars are buried here,' said Sophie. "'Not now. This seems to be show-day. Come home quickly,' he replied. A group of families, the cloaks a little apart, opened to let them through. The men saluted with jerky nods, the women with remnants of a curtsy. Only Eagledon's son, his mother on his arm, lifted his hat as Sophie passed. "'Your people,' said the clear voice of Lady Conant in her ear. "'I suppose so,' said Sophie, blushing, for they were within two yards of her, but it was not a question. "'Then that child looks as if it were coming down with mumps. You ought to tell the mother she shouldn't have brought it to church.' "'I can't leave her behind, my lady,' the woman said. "'She'd set the house afire in a minute. She's that forward with the matches. And you, Maudie, dear?' "'Has Dr. Dallas seen her?' "'Not yet, my lady.' "'He must. You can't get away, of course. Hmm. My idiotic maid is coming in for her teeth tomorrow at twelve. "'She shall pick her up at Gale Anstey, isn't it? At eleven. "'Yes, thank you very much, my lady.' "'I oughtn't to have done it,' said Lady Conant apologetically, "'but there has been no one at pardons for so long that you'll forgive my poaching. "'Now, can't you lunch with us?' The vicar usually comes, too. I don't use the horses on a Sunday. She glanced at the Brazilian silver-plated chariot. It's only a mile across the fields. You... you're very kind, said Sophie, hating herself because her lips trembled. My dear, the compelling tone dropped to a soothing gurgle. Do you suppose I don't know how it feels to come to a strange county? Country, I should say, away from one's own people? When I first left the shires... I'm Shropshire, you know. I cried for a day and a night. But fretting doesn't make loneliness any better. Oh, here's Dora. 
She did sprain her leg that day. I must lay him as a tree still, said the tall maiden frankly. You ought to go out with the otter-hounds, Mrs. Chapin. I believe they're drawing your water next week. Sir Walter had already let off George, and the vicar came up on the other side of Sophie. There was no escaping the swift procession or the leisurely lunch, where talk came and went in low-voiced steadies that had the village for their centre. Sophie heard the vicar and Sir Walter address her husband lightly as Chapin. She also remembered many women known in a previous life who habitually addressed their husbands as Mr. Such-and-One. After lunch, Lady Conant talked to her explicitly of maternity, as that is achieved in cottages and farmhouses remote from aid, and of the duty thereto of the mistress of pardons. A gate in a beech hedge, reached across triple lawns, let them out before tea-time into the unkept south side of the land. "'I want your hand, please,' said Sophie, as soon as they were safe among the beech boles and the lawless hollies. Do you remember the old maid in Providence and the guitar, who heard the commissary swear, and hardly reckoned herself a maiden lady afterwards? Because I'm a relative of hers, Lady Conant is— Did you find out anything about the Lashmars? he interrupted. I didn't ask. I'm going to write to Aunt Sidney about it first. Oh, Lady Conant said something at lunch about their having bought some land from some Lashmars a few years ago. I found it was at the beginning of last century. What did you say? I said, really, how interesting. Like that. I'm not going to push myself forward. I've been hearing about Mrs. Sangress's effort in that direction. And you? I couldn't see you behind the flowers. Was it very deep water, dear? George mopped a brow already browned by outdoor exposures. Oh, no, dead easy, he answered. I've bought Friar's pardon to prevent Sir Walter's bird straying. A cock-pheasant scattered through the dry leaves and exploded almost under their feet. Sophie jumped. "'That's one of them,' said George calmly. "'Well, your nerves are better at any rate,' said she. "'Did you tell him you'd bought the thing to play with?' "'No, that was where my nerve broke down. I only made one bad break, I think. I said I couldn't see why hiring land to men to farm wasn't as much a business proposition as anything else.' And what did they say? They smiled. I shall know what that smile means some day. They don't waste their smiles. Do you see that truck by Galanstie? They looked down from the edge of the hangar over a cup-like hollow. People by twos and threes in their Sunday best filed slowly along the paths that connected farm to farm. I've never seen so many on our land before, said Sophie. Why is it? To show us we mustn't shut up their rights of way. Those cow tracks we've been using cross lots, said Sophie forcibly. Yes, any one of them would cost us two thousand pounds each in legal expenses to close. But we don't want to, she said. The whole community would fight if we did. But it's our land. We can do what we like. It's not our land. We've only paid for it. We belong to it, and it belongs to the people. Our people, they call them. I've been to lunch with the English, too. They passed slowly from one bracken-dotted field to the next, flushed with pride of ownership, plotting alterations and restorations at each turn, halting in their tracks to argue, spreading apart to embrace two views at once, or closing in to consider one. Couples moved out of their way, but smiling covertly. We shall make some bad breaks, he said at last. Together, though, you won't let anyone else in, will you? 
except the contractors. The syndicate handles this proposition by its little loan. But you might feel the want of someone, she insisted. I shall, but it will be you. It's business, Sophie, but it's going to be good fun. Please, God, she answered, flushing, and cried to herself as they went back to tea. It's worth it, oh, it's worth it. The repairing and moving in Friar's pardon was business of the most varied and searching, but all done English fashion, without friction. Time and money alone were asked. The rest lay in the hands of beneficent advisers from London, or spirits, male and female, called up by Mr. and Mrs. Cloak from the wastes of their farms. In the centre stood George and Sophie, a little aghast, their interests reaching out on every side. "'I ain't saying anything against Londoners,' said Cloak. Seth appointed clerk of the outer works, consulting engineer, head of the immigration bureau, and superintendent of woods and forests. But your own people won't go about to make more than a fair profit out of you. How is one to know? said George. Five years from now, or so on, maybe you'll be looking over your first year's accounts, and, knowing what you'll know then, you'll say, Well, Billy Beertup, or old cloak as it might be, did me proper when I was new. No man likes to have that sort of thing laid up against him. I think I see, said George, but five years is a long time to look ahead. I doubt if that oak Billy Beertup throwed in Reuben's Gill will be fit for her drawing-room floor in less than seven, Cloak drawled. Yes, that's my work, said Sophie. Billy Beertup of Griffins, a woodman by training and birth, a tenant farmer by misfortune of marriage, had laid his broad axe at her feet a month before, Sorry if I've committed you to another eternity. And we shan't ever know where we've gone wrong with your new carriage drive before that time either, said Cloak, ever anxious to keep the balance true, with an ounce or two in Sophie's favour. The past four months had taught George better than to reply. The carriage road winding up the hill was his present keen interest. They set off to look at it, and the imported American scraper which had blighted the none-too-sunny soul of Skim Winch, the carter. But young Eggleton was in charge now, and under his guidance, Buller and Roberts, the great horses, moved mountains. "'You lift her like that, and you tip her like that,' he explained to the gang. "'My uncle, he was roadmaster in Connecticut.' "'Are they roads yonder?' said Skim, sitting under the laurels. "'No better than accommodation roads.' Dirt, they call em. They'd suit you, Skim. Why? said the incautious Skim. Cause you take no hurt when you fall out of your cart drunk on a Saturday, was the answer. I didn't last time neither, Skim roared. After the loud laugh, old Wyburn of Gale Anstey piped feebly. Well, dirt or no dirt, there's no denying Choppy knows a good job when he sees it. He don't build one day and destroy the next, like that nigger Sangres. She's the one that knows her own mind, said Pinky, brother to Skim Winch, and a Napoleon among carters, who had helped to bring the grand piano across the fields in the autumn rains. She had owed too, said Eagledon. Whoa, Buller. She's a lashmar. They never was double-thinking. Well, you found that? Has the answer come from your uncle? said Skim, doubtful whether so remote a land as America had posts. The others looked at him scornfully. Skim was always a day behind the fur. Eagledon rested from his labours. She's a lashmar right enough. I started up to write to my uncle at once, the month after she said her folks came from Veering Holler. 
where there ain't any road skim interrupted but none laughed my uncle he married an american woman for his second and she took it up like a like the coroner she's a lashmar out of the old lashmar place for they sold to conan's she ain't no tooth-hill lashmar nor any of the crayford lot her folk come out of the ground here neither chalk nor forest but wildishers they sailed over to america i've got it all writ down by my uncle's woman in eighteen hundred and nothing my uncle says they're all slow begetters like would they be gentry yonder now skim asked nah there's no gentry in america no matter how long you're there it's against their law there's only rich and poor allowed they've been lawyers and such like over yonder for a hundred years but she's a lashmar for all that lord what's a hundred years said wyburn who had seen seventy-eight of them and they write too from yonder my uncle's woman writes that you can still tell em by head mark their hair's foxy red still and they throw out when they walk he's in toad treads like a gypsy but you watch and you'll see her throw out like a colt your trace wants taken up pinky's large ears had caught the sound of voices and as the two broke through the laurels the men were hard at work their eyes on sophie's feet she had been less fortunate in her inquiries than eagledon for her aunt sydney of meriden a badged and certificated daughter of the revolution to boot answered her inquiries with a two-page discourse on patriotism the leaflets of a village improvement society of which she was president and a demand for an overdue subscription to a factory girls reading circle sophie burned it all in the orpheus and eurydice crate and kept her own counsel what i want to know said george when spring was coming and the gardens needed thought is who will ever pay me for my labour i've put in at least half a million dollars worth already sure you're not taking too much out of yourself his wife asked oh no i haven't been conscious of myself all winter he looked at his brown english gaiters and smiled it's all behind me now i believe i could sit down and think of all that those months before we sailed don't oh don't she cried but i must go back one day you don't want to keep me out of business always or do you he ended with a nervous laugh sophie sighed as she drew her own ground ash of old eagledon's cutting from the whole rack aren't you overdoing it too you look a little tired he said you make me tired i'm going to rockets to see mrs cloak about mary this was the sister of the telegraphist promoted to be sewing maid at pardons coming i'm due at burn house to see about the new well by the way there's a sore-throated gale Anstey that's my province don't interfere the wyburn children always have sore throats they do it for jujubes keep away from gail Anstey till i make sure honey cloak ought to have told me these people don't tell haven't you learned that yet but i'll obey my lord see you later she set off afoot for within the three main roads that bounded the blunt triangle of the estate even by night one could scarcely hear the cards on them wheels were not used except for farm work the footpath served all other purposes and though at first they had planned improvements they had soon fallen in with the customs of their hidden kingdom and moved about the soft-footed ways by woodland hedgerow and shore as freely as the rabbits 
indeed for the most part sophie walked bareheaded beneath her helmet of chestnut hair but she had been plagued of late by vague toothaches which she explained to mrs cloak who asked some questions how it came about sophie never knew but after a while behold mrs cloak's arm was about her waist and her head was on that deep bosom behind the shut kitchen door my dear my dear the elder woman almost sobbed and you mean to tell me you never suspicioned why why where was you ever taught anything at all of course it is it's what we've been only waiting for all of us time and again i've said to lady she checked herself and now we shall be as we should be but 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 sophie whimpered and to see you building your nest so busy pianos and books and never thinking of a nursery no more i did sophie sat bolt upright and began to laugh time enough yet the fingers tapped thoughtfully on the broad knee but they must be strange-minded folk over yonder with you have you thought to send for your mother she did my dear my dear never mind she'll be happy where she knows tis god's work and we was only waiting for it for you've never failed in your duty yet it ain't your way what did you say about my mary's doings mrs cloak's face hardened as she pressed her chin on sophie's forehead if any of your girls thinks to behave arbitrary now i'll-but they won't my dear i'll see they do their duty too be sure you'll have no trouble when sophie walked back across the fields heaven and earth changed about her as on the day of old eagledon's death for an instant she thought of the wide turn of the staircase and the new ivory white paint that no coffin corner could scar but presently the shadow passed in a pure wonder and bewilderment that made her real she leaned against one of their new gates and looked over their lands for some other stay well she said resignedly half aloud we must try to make him feel that he isn't a third in our party and turned the corner that looked over friar's pardon giddy sick and faint of a sudden the house they had bought for a whim stood up as she had never seen it before low-fronted broad-winged ample prepared by course of generations for all such things as it had steadied her when it lay desolate so now that it had meaning from their few months of life within it soothed and promised good she went alone and quickly into the hall and kissed either door-post whispering be good to me you know you've never failed in your duty yet when the matter was explained to george he would have sailed at once to their own land but this sophie forbade i don't want science she said i just want to be loved and there isn't time for that at home besides she added looking out of the window it would be desertion george was forced to soothe himself with linking friar pardon to the telegraph system of great britain by telephone three-quarters of a mile of poles put in by wire barn and a few friends one of these was a foreigner from the next parish said he when the line was being run there's an old ilum right in our road shall i throw her toot hill parish folk neither grace nor good luck god help em old wyburn shouted the local proverb from three poles down the line we ain't going to lay any axe iron to coffin wood here not till we know where we are yet a while swing round her swing round 
to this day then that sudden kink in the straight line across the upper pasture remains a mystery to sophie and george nor can they tell why skim winch who came to his cottage under dutton shore most musically drunk at ten forty five p m of every saturday night as his father had done before him sang no more at the bottom of the garden steps where sophie always feared he would break his neck the path was undoubtedly an ancient right of way and at ten forty five p m on saturdays skim remembered it was his duty to posterity to keep it open till mrs cloak spoke to him once she spoke likewise to her daughter mary sewing maid at pardons and to mary's new friend the five foot seven imported london housemaid who taught mary to trim hats and found the county dullish but there was no noise at no time was there any noise and when sophie walked abroad she met no one in her path unless she had signified a wish that way then they appeared to protest that all was well with them and their children their chickens their roofs their water supply and their sons in the police or the railway service but don't you find it dull dear said george loyally doing his best not to worry as the months went by i've been so busy putting my house in order i haven't had time to think said she do you no no if i could only be sure of you she turned on the green drawing-room's couch it was empire not hepplewhite after all and laid aside a list of linen and blankets it has changed everything hasn't it she whispered oh lord yes but i still think if we went back to baltimore and missed our first real summer together no thank you my lord but we're absolutely alone isn't that what i'm doing my best to remedy don't you worry i like it like it to the marrow of my little bones you don't realize what her house means to a woman we thought we were living in it last year but we hadn't begun to don't you rejoice in your study george i prefer being here with you he sat down on the floor by the couch and took her hand seven she said as the french clock struck year before last you'd just be coming back from business he winced at the recollection then laughed business i've been at work ten solid hours to-day where did you lunch with the conant no at dattenshaw sitting on a log with my feet in a swamp but we found out where the old spring is and we're going to pipe it down to galancity next year i'll come and see to-morrow oh please open the door dear i want to look down the passage isn't that corner by the stair-head lovely where the sun strikes in she looked through half-closed eyes at the vista of ivory-white and pale green all steeped in liquid gold there's a step out of jane elphick's bedroom she went on and his first step in the world ought to be up i shouldn't wonder if those people hadn't put it there on purpose george will it make any odds to you if he's a girl he answered as he had many times before that his interest was his wife not the child then you're the only person who thinks so she laughed don't be silly dear it's expected i know it's my duty i shan't be able to look her people in the face if i fail what concern is it of theirs confound em you'll see luckily the tradition of the house is boys mrs cloak says so i'm provided for shall you ever begin to understand these people i shan't and we bought it for fun for fun he groaned and here we are held up for goodness knows how long why were you thinking of selling it he did not answer do you remember the second mrs chapin she demanded 
this was a bold brazen little black-browed woman a widow for choice who on sophie's death was guilefully to marry george for his wealth and ruin him in a year george being busy sophie had invented her some two years after her marriage and conceived she was alone among wives in so doing you aren't going to bring her up again he asked anxiously i only want to say that i should hate anyone who bought pardons ten times worse than i used to hate the second mrs chapin think what we've put into it of our two selves at least a couple of million dollars i know i could have made he broke off the beasts she went on they'd be sure to build a red brick lodge at the gates and cut the lawn up for bedding out you must leave instructions in your will that he's never to do that george won't you he laughed and took her hand again but said nothing till it was time to dress then he muttered what the devil's use is a man's country to him when he can't do business in it prior's pardon stood faithful to its tradition at the appointed time was born not that third in their party to whom sophie meant to be so kind but a godling in beauty it was manifest excellent eros as in wisdom confucius an enhancer of delights a renewer of companionships and an interpreter of destiny this last george did not realize till he met lady conan striding through dutton shore a few days after the event my dear fellow she cried and slapped him heartily on the back i can't tell you how glad we all are oh she'll be all right there's never been any trouble over the birth of an heir at pardons now where the deuce is it she felt largely in her leather-bound skirt and drew out a small silver mug i sent a note to your wife about it but my silly ass of a groom forgot to take this you can save me a trump give her my love she marched off amid her guard of grave airedales the mug was worn and dented above the twined initials g l was the crest of a footless bird and the motto wait a while wait a while that's the other end of the riddle sophie whispered when he saw her that evening read her note the english write beautiful notes the warmest of welcomes to your little man i hope he will appreciate his native land now he has come to it though you have said nothing we cannot of course look on him as a little stranger and so i am sending him the old lushmore christening mug it has been with us since gregory lushmore your great-grandmother's brother george stared at his wife go on she twinkled from the pillows mother's brother sold his place to walter's family we seem to have acquired some of your household gods at that time but nothing survives except the mug and the old cradle which i found in the potting shed and am having put in order for you i hope little george lushmore he will be too won't he will live to see his grandchildren cut their teeth on his mug affectionately yours alice conant p s how quiet you've kept about it all well i'm don't swear said sophie but for the infant mind but how in the world did she get at it have you ever said a word about the lashmars you know the only time to young eagledon at rockets when eagledon died your great-grandmother's brother she traced the whole connection more than your aunt sydney could do what does she mean about our keeping quiet sophie's eyes sparkled i've thought that out too 
we've got back at the english at last can't you see that she thought that we thought my mother's being a lashmar was one of those things we'd expect the english to find out for themselves and that's impressed her she turned the mug in her white hands and sighed happily wait a while wait a while that's not a bad motto george it's been worth it but still i don't quite see i shouldn't wonder if they don't think our coming here was part of a deep-laid scheme to be near our ancestors they'd understand that and look how they've accepted us all of them are we so undesirable in ourselves george grunted be just me lord that wretched sangrous man has twice our money can you see marn conan slapping him between the shoulders not by a jackful the poor beast doesn't exist do you think it's that then he looked toward the cot by the fire where the godling snorted the minute i get well i shall find out from mrs cloak what every lashmar gives in dolls that's nicer than tips every time a lashmit is born i've done my duty thus far but there's much expected of me entered here mrs cloak and hung worshipping over the cot they showed her the mug and her face shone oh now lady conan sent it it'll be all proper ma'am won't it george of course he'd have to be but seeing what he is we was hoping all your people was hoping it would be lashmar too and that would just round it out a very handsome mag quite unique i should imagine wait a while wait a while that's true with the lashmars i've heard very slow to fill their houses they are most like master george won't open his nursery till he's thirty poor lamb cried sophie but how did you know my folk were lashmars mrs cloak thought deeply i'm sure i can't quite say ma'am but i've a belief likely that it was something you may have let drop to young eagledon when you was at rockets that may have been what give us an inkling and so it came out one thing in the way of talk leading to another and those american people at veering holler was very obliging with news i'm told ma'am great scott said george under his breath and this is the simple peasant yes miss cloak went on and cloak was only wondering this afternoon your pillow slipped my dear you mustn't lie that away just for the sake of saying something whether you wouldn't think well now of getting the lashmore farms back sir they don't rightly round off sir walter's estate they come catering across us more cloak he would be glad to show you over any day but sir walter doesn't want to sell does he we can find out from his bailiff sir but with cold contempt i think that trained nurse is just coming up from her dinner so i'm afraid we'll have to ask you sir now master george ay wake a little minute lummy a few months later the three of them were down at the brook in the gale anstey woods to consider the rebuilding of a footbridge carried away by spring floods george lashmar chapin wanted all the bluebells on god's earth that day to eat and sophie adored him in a voice like to the cooing of a dove so business was delayed here's the place said his father at last among the water forget-me-nots but where the deuce are the larch poles cloak i told you to have them down here ready we'll get em down if you say so cloak answered with a thrust of the underlip they both knew but i did say so what on earth have you brought that timber tack here for we aren't building a railway bridge why in america half a dozen two-by-four bits would be ample i don't know nothing about that said cloak and i've nothing to say against large 
if you want to make a temporary job of it i ain't here to tell you what isn't so sir and you can't say i ever come creeping up on you or trying to lead you further in than you set out a year ago george would have danced with impatience now he scraped a little mud off his old gaiters with his spud and waited all i say is that you can put up larch and make a temporary job of it and by the time the young master's married it'll have to be done again now i've brought down a couple of as sweet six by eight oak timbers as i've ever drawed you put em in and it's of your mind for good and all t'other way i don't say it ain't right i'm only just saying what i think but t'other way he'll no sooner be married than he'll have it all to do again you've no call to regard my words but you can't get out of that no said george after a pause i've been realizing that for some time make it oak then we can't get out of it end of section one